0: someone jesus the old and the new testaments aren't supposed to be separate you put them together and they focus on someone on the lord jesus that that's supposed to be our picture of the bible and so you can have the old testament without the water in it but you will have a dead fish you can have the new testament without a bowl and you'll have a wet fish on the carpet and that won't work out very well What we want is we want the structure of the old and the filling of the new that enables us to point to the living Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, it works together. So what do we notice if we take this approach? Well, I want to say there's four things that arise from saying the Bible hangs together. The first is, it's a unity. So I've got two colours there woven together, the old and the new. The Old Testament... And the New Testament joined together. There's a unity in the Scriptures. And there's a great saying, uh, which I really like. I don't know if you've heard this before. The old is the new concealed, and the new is the old revealed. Have you heard this before? Let me explain. So basically what it's saying is, the Old Testament has wrapped in it the seeds of the New Testament. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In other words, all those seeds burst forth and we get what they're about. So, for instance, um, John the Baptist looks at Jesus when he's, when he's there and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you don't have the Old Testament, what you do is you see a carpenter walking by a river and some bloke says he looks like a lamb. He's not very lamby, guys. He's probably quite... He's a physical God. But this guy says he's a lamb. Why? Because in the Old Testament, in the Passover, we're told that the, the sheep is... The blood is shed on behalf of the people. So the angel of God will pass over that. Jesus is the one who will help the wrath of God pass over us. He is the sacrificial lamb from the sacrificial system. If we don't have the Old Testament, we won't get the new. So the Old He's preparing us for Jesus. The old is the new concealed. And then when Jesus turns up, he is the, the old revealed. He is the fulfillment of all the promises that were made. So there's a fundamental unity to the Bible that you and I read. We see this in, uh, in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is talking to the uh, disciples after he comes alive again. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus? He uh, says, this, uh, says this in Luke's gospel. And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. How beautiful is that? So Jesus says, this Old Testament you got, guess who it's all about? The answer is Jesus. That's right, Peter, because the answer is always Jesus. That's right. It's all about Jesus. So there's a fundamental unity to the Bible. There's a fundamental uniqueness to the Bible. It has one author showing forth the light into the world. What do we see? We see that God speaks in creation. We've talked about this at the start of Romans. There's general revelation, which is that there is a God. But that's all you can know from looking out there at the world. But there's a special revelation right here that tells us about what God is like. So God speaks in the scripture. He tells us what he's like. And you can't get that anywhere else. It's only through the scriptures that you'll find out what God is truly like. And so two uh, two Timothy three sixteen says this: all Scripture is God breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, God breathes the Scripture. He hasn't breathed any other scriptures. He's not tweeting. And despite the fact I saw some ridiculous show where God friended somebody, is this right? Is this show some some show coming up on TV at the moment? God friends somebody. and this is, anyway. I, God's not doing that. What he did instead, he breathed his word into this beautiful book that we have in front of us, the Scriptures. It's unique. We also see the universality of God's word. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, is written to a group of people, the Hebrews, in Palestine 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Now, you would think to yourself, hey, that can't mean much for me today. It would have meant a lot for them, but it doesn't mean very much to me today. But what we see all the way through the Scriptures, from the old to the new, is that God has a plan that includes all people right the way across the world. And because he's in charge of all things, God has a desire to interact with all people. And so I've got there, God is the sovereign king. In other words, he's the ruler of all. And he's over all human history. If God's over all and he's trying to speak to everyone, we should imagine that this book contains traces of prophecy. Let me show you where that is in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we see uh, that, uh, that Peter writes this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. A prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is speaking to us through the Bible, and these traces of prophecy exist for four reasons. I said up there may contain traces of prophecy. You know how everything contains traces of nuts. Okay, if God is in charge of the whole, it's very likely that His Word will contain traces of prophecy, even actual prophecy. Why? Well, firstly, because God knows the end. Okay, got to think with me about this. God's eternal, without beginning and without end. We have a beginning and an end. God knows the end because he's at the end and at the start and everything in between. He's eternal. God knows the end. Secondly, God has the power to create his ends. So I could say what I would like to do this weekend. I'm about to go on holiday for a week. I would like to go to the beach, and I would like to have hot, sunny days. I would also like to get up with about 55% cloud cover so that I can take photography uh, of the dawn with enough cloud cover to get colour in the sky. That's what I would like. Can I make that happen this week? Very unlikely. It's going to be rainy as all get out, apparently, which is an answer to prayer. So praise God for that, wonderful, for the farmers. But I can't create my own ends. God can because he is God. So God knows the end. God has the power to create his ends. And then he says God will use people for his ends. In other words, he says, I want you to come and join me achieving this outcome. God just won't go, boom, here it is, done. He says, people, come and join me. I've got something for you to do to create my end that I have in mind. So God uses people for his ends. And because he does that, God reveals his ends to people. Yeah, yeah, you're with me, well, bear, with, bear with me. Here's the thing. So God wants to achieve something. He wants to use you. He knows the end. You don't. So what does he do? He comes and he says, I'll let you in a little secret. I'm going to tell you something about the future so you can be with me in the present to make that happen. Can you see? That's what prophecy is about. It's about God telling us in advance what he will do so we can join him in his plan for the world. So this wonderful scripture that we have contains traces of prophecy because of its author. Fourthly, we want to see that the Bible has an unshakable focus. An unshakable focus. And um, I, I thought of the evening service and put this little picture up in, in, in here. Um, does anyone know who that is? Mm-hmm. Emmett, thank you very much. Annabelle, you're on fire tonight with the Lego references. This is Emmett... Emmett believes that he is what? Does anyone know? Yes, he's definitely awesome. That is correct. But he believes something more about himself, that he is the what? Chosen, it's got a special word in the movie, the special. He believes that he's the special, the most important, the most central person in the whole universe. That's what he believes. Now, that's wrong for Emmet. He's not the special. But here's the thing. Jesus is the special, and he's at the heart, absolute heart of what God is doing in the Scriptures. And so God's plan is to redeem a people. In other words, he's going to win us from captivity to bring glory to Jesus. And that is at the heart of both testaments. God is bringing a people together to worship the one who truly is special, Jesus. It says in Ephesians 1, He's made known, us to, the, uh, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's all about Jesus. Old and new. So how do the Old and New Testaments connect Jesus? Uh, you saw a slide at the start that had um, the David series. Do you remember we did a series of looking at King David earlier in the in the year? Some of you do, just nod vaguely. Yes, King David, remember that? Okay, good, good. So when did that occur? This is my Bible timeline. So here's creation, here's new creation, Old and New Testaments here. When did... When did D- David happened about 1,000 BC, 1,000, before, 1,000 years before Christ. God appeared to David and said, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Well, no surprises so far, the king's going to have offspring. Wow, that's not wonderful. The, the amazing bit is this, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And here's the amazing bit. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In 2 Samuel 7, David is told one of his offspring, one of his descendants, will be great. In fact, one of his descendants will be a forever king in a forever kingdom. That's a pretty good promise. God promised it. Now, David reflected on that promise in two different places, many more, but in two places. It says in Psalm 16, verses 9 to 11, Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now David's saying, somebody is going to live forever. Somebody won't decay. The problem with that is, David did decay. And so it can't be that David is talking about himself. Somebody is coming who won't decay. Somebody is coming who won't decay. He then says again in Psalm 110, something along the lines of this one who's to come. He says this confusing thing. Bear with me, it'll make sense eventually. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, everyone just goes, what is going on here? Bear with me. Let's see if I can set this up. If you're David, what's your job in Israel? What's his position? He is at the pinnacle of all Israel. He's the most important guy in Israel. He's the king of Israel. Great. Who's his Lord? L-O-R-D, capital letters. Who's David's Lord? God is a good answer, not Jesus, okay? God, the Father, is David's Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. So David's the pinnacle. God, the Father, rules over him. But here's what David says. The Lord says to my Lord something. Who is David's Lord? There's no space here. You got it? God, David, and then somebody is being spoken to as David's Lord. Can you see that? So the question mark is, who is that? Who can David's Lord be who is not God? It's not David. It's David's Lord, and he will be a king and a priest. You never get those two together. You never see a king and a priest together. So we're just left going. We're expecting a Messiah that comes from David, and we don't know who it will be. So they were waiting. And they wait a thousand years from the promise of David until this bloke called Jesus turns up. You've heard of him. Jesus turns up and he's chatting away in the temple courts. Mark chapter 12 records it for us. While Jesus was was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, so this is a thousand years later, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Well, this is actually an easy question to answer. They say that the Messiah is the son of David, be descended descendant of David, because God promised it in 2 Samuel 7. That's why. But Jesus continues. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Now, do you see this? Your offspring isn't going to be greater than you. You're the king of the castle. So essentially, Jesus is saying, Why do they say that? Well, because there was a descendant promised, but we still don't know who this person is going to be. And so we see here, Jesus says, How could that be? And he doesn't answer the question. Why doesn't Jesus answer the question, Who could this be? Because he's the answer. And so when Peter stands up at Pentecost, this is our reading that was brought to us, Acts chapter 2. When Peter stands up at Pentecost, he speaks about Jesus in the following way. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw my Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So here's what's going on. Jesus is the forever king. How can he be a forever king? Because of his resurrection. Jesus died, but he came alive again. Because he came alive again, he will never die. How can one of your descendants rule on your throne forever? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Peter continues... In verse 33, it says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What's he saying? He's saying here that Jesus is David's Lord. The one who is at the right hand of God the Father is God the Son. It's Jesus who is the Lord that was to be expected. And he's the Lord at God's right hand by his ascension, by going up to the right hand of the Father. Okay, so God kept his promise. It took a thousand years, but he kept his promise. That's good, because God makes promises to you and I as well. Go to that passage in Revelation at the back of your Bibles. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, we are told... Oh yeah, you're going, go, use your Bibles, it's good. It won't be on the last page of your phone though. It's still on page one of your phones, but it's the back of your Bibles. Revelation 22 verse 12 says, Look, I'm coming, this is Jesus speaking, Look, I'm coming soon, my reward is with me. And I'll give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The first thing we notice at the end is that Jesus is great. He really is. He's absolutely amazing. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the first and the last. That's our our Savior. But I want you to see the way he describes himself in verse 16. Have a look at this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And you're there and you go, huh? Because we all ripped up our Old Testaments, didn't we? We threw the rind away. We dumped the back end of the Saturn rocket. We just love the New Testament. So here's Jesus going, I'm awesome. I'm coming again. I'm the root and offspring of David. And you go, doesn't David live down the road? I don't know. How, how's Jesus? No. We have to have our Old Testament to make sense of this beautiful description of who David is. I am the root and the offspring of David. Why does he say that? He said, God kept his promise for a thousand years to make me the offspring of David. He will keep his promise that I will come back again. Can you see that? Jesus is Lord and Jesus will return. So what does this mean for us? Four things. We should treasure the scripture. Uh, You can't find the word of God anywhere else. Treasure it. Treasure it. We should seek Jesus in the the scriptures. We should look for the fish in the fishbowl, right? It doesn't mean that every passage you read says the name of Jesus. We'll have to work hard on it we we'll have to see where the trajectory is, how it's pointing to Jesus. But look for Jesus in the Scriptures. Prepare for his return. He said he's going to come back. He will. In fact, actually, when we do the Lord's Supper, I want you to note that we actually say, come Lord Jesus, come. We're expecting Jesus to return, and it's because this word tells us. And as you wait, I want you to trust that your king has the future in his hands. He was working out his own ends to get Jesus on the scene. He will work out his own ends to bring his son, Jesus, back. Trust him while you wait. All right, I started by asking you, how valuable is this Bible? I found this story in April. It said that in China, the online stores are pulling the Bible out. You won't be able to buy a Bible in China as I've said across all the services today, they didn't ban Tintin. They banned this. They banned this Bible. Why? Because it's a subversive document. Because it says that people that would be the rulers of the world, you're not the most important. There is someone over you who appoints rulers and pulls them down. It says to you and I, if we will sign up to Jesus as our king, that you have a better allegiance to someone else than the Communist Party, the Labor Party or the Liberal you've got Jesus as your king and our heavenly home as your ultimate home. It says that you can have hope beyond death. This book is innately powerful, so powerful and threatening to a communist regime that wants to control everybody that they want to ban it. And fortunately here in Australia, you have it on your phone, you have it in the seat with you. If you don't have a copy tonight, you take the one that's here and you take it home. You can have it for free. It doesn't mean it's worthless. So why do we treat it as such by never opening it? This word is dangerous. It's life-giving. It's the living word of God. And I want to encourage you, church, let's get reading. Let's get reading. Let's open it up. Let's engage and meet with God. Let's see his son in the scriptures. And to help us do that, if you're not on a regular way of doing this, we, we have a little plan a Bible reading plan that looks like this. It's just got a chapter a day. And guess what? It's got some Old Testament in it. It'll be all right. You'll survive. It's good. Trust me. But read with us. Open them. Oh, they're at the back. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah. You'll find them at the back as you go out. Read a chapter a day. Meet with God and his word. You can't get it anywhere else. And it is full of life and hope and allegiance to a better king. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, save us from dusty Bibles. Heavenly Father, help us not to be so wrapped in our freedom that we never rejoice in the opportunity to engage with you in your word. Father, help us to treasure your word. Help us to see your King. Help us to trust you as we wait for his return. Amen. Now, that is a little bit of encouragement to read your Bibles. We've actually got one of our values over here as a church. Uh, We talk about being faithful. And one of them is, what are you learning as you read the Bible and pray daily? That's one of our questions. And if the answer is, I'm not learning anything as I read the Bible and pray daily, I'm going to guess it's because you're not reading the Bible and praying daily. You will grow. Have you got any questions from tonight's uh, sermon? How many stages were there in the Saturn V? How much weight can it lift to low earth orbit? 140,000 kilos is the answer. But anyway, uh, do you have any questions on what we looked at tonight? Okay, I'm, I'm going to assume what that means is I'm utterly convinced about this and I'm going to go home and read my Bible. Is that right, church? That's a good answer. Uh, guys, I, honestly, we'll, we'll, we will finish and I won't, I won't wrap it on. But, but can I just encourage you? I just think it's radical, isn't it? That this book is banned in another country. But we, as Christians, the people who say, this is my God, don't spend much time here. Meet God in his word. Join me as we read along. That would be my encouragement.